getting there. Good evening, everybody. We're so glad you're here tonight. It's going to be an interesting evening. A couple of announcements before we get started. One is that this week and next week, so next week will be the last week that we're going to be having our class on Wednesday nights until after the summer. We're going to take a summer break. So tonight we're going to actually finish with chapter 13, which is a very interesting place to finish up for the summer. It's going to leave a few questions unanswered. So it's, it's almost like the climax episode of a, one of the series that you've been watching all year. Then all of a sudden they make you want to come back for the, the next part next season. So we're hoping to get started back again sometime in September. But next week will be the last week for this session. So we're going to do tonight and then we're going to do next Wednesday. And after that, we will not be having it uh, the class again until sometime in September. Uh, but don't worry, you will all, as long as I have everybody's email addresses and all of your information, then I can get in touch. If you on stream, if you want to make sure that we have your emails um, addresses to let us know at pastor at lighthousecommunity.com and we will then let you know when we are going to start the class up again in September. A couple of things that I need to bring up. I had some real in interesting questions this year. Um, as you remember, last week we did chapter 12 on the great battle. And we did a lot of things before that on the two witnesses that were there. The two witnesses being a much big debate a very big debate on, on who those two witnesses represent. Because remember, it was two olive trees and two lampstands, and we went through all of that. And if you didn't see that, you can go back a couple weeks and see it. But in the last couple days, I received a lot of questions about the two witnesses. Now, there is a possibility of four witnesses that are in things. Now, we have to know that... As much as man likes to think he can have the mind of God, it is not possible. Okay, God is God, and no one can be God but God. Amen? Amen. So when we think about the fact that we, we try to figure out exactly what he means in scriptures, we can only do our best guesses as those with a human mind. We don't have the mind of God. So therefore, when I teach, when I do things like this, I present it in ways that you understand there are different thoughts. There are very learned men, well-meaning people who all believe that they, they have the right answers. But, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Not even Bill can tell you that I have all, every single answer the way it's supposed to be. All I can tell you is that I have what I truly believe and in my own estimation, but at the same time, I will let you know there are others who think differently than I do. And tonight's chapter is a big deal. 
And you'll see why when we get to the last verse of chapter 13. But we have to understand and know that, that any time that we're talking about biblical study, Bible study, or biblical interpretation, it's, it's always open to scrutiny. It's always open to different interpretations. Different people will see it different ways. Yes, I spend a lot of hours, I'm not going to say I was anal about my study, I was intense. How's that? I wanted to be right in my intensive about my study. My family thought I was crazy, but that's okay. I just wanted to make sure I had it to the best of my own understanding. So as I'm sharing things with all of you and, and all of you, I want you to understand that we, we can only do what our human mind can do. God is God. No one can be God but God. So I'm trusting that, that you're coming to see with me that this book of Revelation in the Bible is, is more than anything else a book on discipleship. Over the years, especially in the 19th, 20th century, some, well, it might have started earlier in the 18th century, but everybody thought it was a book like a crystal ball to help you see into the future. And as I hope now that you're seeing, we're halfway through the book, that you're starting to understand that it's not necessarily that, but that it is, it is more of a discipleship manual. Um, it's written in some strange way. It's written in a way that there's lots of apocalyptic literature, a lot of symbols, a lot of things, images and, and symbolism that are sometimes hard for us to understand. The purpose of the last book of the Bible is to truly, truly encourage loyalty, obedience, and worship. That's what this book is about. God is showing us, he's, he's opening some, some portals into, when John says, I looked and the heavens were opened up to me, John was still on the earth. He didn't go up to heaven to see it. He was still on the island of Patmos. And as he's having this vision, it's, un, it's opened up to him. So the book does this, it, it, it does this. The book tells us that it's the opening of unseen realities of history. And they're, they are not only as they seem. In other words, there's something working behind the events in history. Would you agree? Because we like to blame those who disagree with us about who Jesus is. Call them evil, call them whatever. Wrong. Remember when Jesus, when he was talking to the disciples before he left, he took them up the mountain. He says, by this you're going to know, people will know you are my disciples. Remember what he said? That you love one another. That's what it is. It's all about our love for each other. I'm hoping and praying that at no time during, while I'm sharing this information in this study with anybody, whether it be in here, out there, wherever, that you're not taking it as a, as a reason or a purpose to have such disagreements where that we begin to show an anger and a, and a, and a fierceness about us. Because we're right and you're wrong. The only one that's right is God. I can be wrong, folks. Trust me, I can be wrong. I can be wrong and wrong and wrong. I can be right sometimes. I can be both. God can't be wrong. God is never wrong. Jesus is never wrong. We have to get to a point where that our love for one another can say, oh, you disagree, you see it as a different way. And, and the big one today was with the two witnesses. 
Because I believe, because when in the chapter 10, when he says one witness had the power to turn water to blood, the only person I know that did that was Moses, right. And then we know that Elijah was the one who could make the skies never have rain for 42 months, three and a half years, right? So to me, that would be in my own logic. But there are a couple of others that are deeply considered for those two witnesses' roles. One being Zerubbabel, one of the most faithful kings and, and the one who could actually call on God to do miracles too. And then you also had Enoch. And Enoch never died. Remember, before the flood comes and before Noah comes, God takes Enoch to heaven. And Enoch wrote an incredible book himself just on who it is. And I, I was able to order the book, and you can get it online anytime now. But I do have the book from, of Enoch, and, and he wrote three different books. And all three of these books are amazing tales of who God is and who God talked, how God talked to him. He even spoke about the Messiah that was the coming king. But at no time should any, anybody of us want to be in a place where that we become so argumentative that there's an anger and a hatred that comes out from us towards one of our own, one of our brothers and sisters. So when the book sees us through, the, looks at what the book can do for us, and it, we see what it does in two different ways. First off, it helps us see the present moment in, line, in light of unseen realities of the future. You see, and the past. Jesus is coming. We, we know there will be a final day. And it is only by God's grace and mercy that it is not today. He's already in the process of coming and bringing with him the city of God, the new heaven and the new earth, as, as you're, you will see later on when we start out. When we get to chapter 19 and 20, oh my goodness, the pictures we get to see. They're phenomenal. Secondly, and more importantly for discipleship, this book helps us see the present moment in light of unseen realities of the present. There are some things going on in this world as we read through the book of Revelation. All of a sudden, our minds go right to those instances, doesn't it? And if you thought it did before, what do we get through tonight? And by the way, tonight, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just the one passing on the message. Remember that. Don't blame Bill. It's not Bill's fault. Just saying. When we get into Revelation 13, it's very unique because there's the first chapter of one, the first part of the chapter, 1 through 10, and then it goes 11 to the end. And in 1 through 10, it's, it, Revelation 13 verses 1 through 10 is actually part of a larger scene of Revelation 11:19 all the way through chapter 15, verse 4. If you wanted to put a whole scene together as if it was a play, a movie plot, or something else, you could take those chapters and write a whole script on a very interesting scene of the battle between good and evil and how it turns out. The whole scene tells us there's a force that it's at work in the universe. <laughs> yes, I, I do love Star Wars, and I'm really not trying to show my Star Wars freakness in, in light of this right now, because... Star Wars is correct in one thing. There is a dark force at work. We see, we see that in here. We just saw that, how it works in chapter 12, when Satan gets thrown down from the earth, which John repeats five times. And then all of a sudden, as he gets thrown down to earth, he gets very angry, doesn't he? And then what does he say? I'm going after every one of the offspring of this woman. He's going at the, and Mary, that, 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 that woman in chapter 12 
represents three things all at the same time because everybody has asked me, we thought that the birth, woman in birth pains represented Mary, the mother of Jesus. It does. I get another question. Wait, we thought it represented the church. She does. Wait, no, we thought she represented Israel. Guess what? She does. In all three of those things, it's okay to say she represents all three of those things because every one of those things can be backed up by Scripture. I would keep you here two nights alone just talking about how that all compares, but it does work, and we can talk about that later on when we're off camera. It's easier to do it all night long. We know that the force hates Jesus. The darkness hates him. That's why he was trying, the red dragon, remember in chapter 12, was trying to come down and devour the child that was about to be born. And he's therefore in rage. He's so mad. He's, and he's going to go after the disciples of Jesus. He's going to go after the children of, of Mary, of Israel, of the church. He's going to go after us. But he's not going to go after us where he shows up as a big red dragon outside the door and burns out the windows and comes in and attacks us. That's not what we're talking about here. And now let's look at chapter 13. Because now you're going to see how he does it. Let's look at this. Chapter 13. We're going to read 1 through 10 first. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads. With ten dia diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon he gave his power, <laughs> his throne, his great authority. One of the heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. They worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it also allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Whew. That's just the first half, by the way. That is, you know, the first one. So we see this first beast coming out of the sea. And as we talk about this beast, the dragon, and who he was, He's going to be joined by another beast, and we'll get to that in just a second. But who is the beast from the sea? The beast from the sea has some specific things that he knows and he does, doesn't he? 
He says, oh, guess what? I want everybody to understand. I have a mortal wound. Look, the dragon healed it. Wow, the dragon must have all the power. And then the, the beast comes down and he starts to talk about they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast and who can fight against it? Amazing how the evil dragon, who is Satan, we know, because it actually says that in chapter 12. And then he says, all of a sudden, he's giving authority to this beast. Now understand, this second beast can't do anything without the permission of the red dragon. Anybody want to take a shot at who the red dragon has to get his power and authority from? God himself. So these beasts... Please know they cannot do anything without permission of God. So what we're going to see and what's coming here from this forward, from 13 through chapter 22, all the stuff that you're going to see was all given by permission of God. God has done everything he could to tell mankind, I need you to come to me of your own free will. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to make you come to me. I have the power. Obviously, because he's giving the evil dragon his power and his authority to operate. And the evil Satan can't do anything without the permission of God. It's not possible. He can't do anything without that. And so, therefore, whenever he thinks that the dragon has all the power, now this little beast comes out of the sea, who now all of a sudden he believes that he's the toughest is because he's following the red dragon who has all the power. Don't you wonder? See, this is how I think. I just wonder sometimes, did the dumb beast coming out of the sea not see how the dragon got here? See, the dragon lost the battle. So basically, is it me or is the beast following a loser? I'm just asking because it's the way it looks to me. The beast is following the loser of this battle. And yet he's giving all of his everything, allegiance, everything to this dragon. Who's the loser? I don't like following losers. And, and when, when somebody does things that shows their character of being evil and demonic, is it as hard for you to follow them as it is for me? You see, there's many who compare these beasts and this dragon to a whole lot of things that are going on in the political realm. Okay? I'm going to just be honest with you. This is where I told Randy I'm going to probably get in trouble tonight. Because the truth of the matter is that the, the fact is that when you look at the dragon with, who seems to have the power, he's now controlling this little beast who's gone to all the people and performed signs and wonders. And all the people are all of a sudden following this little beast. Who's like, if the dragon was the biggest loser, then what does that make this beast do? He's worse than it. He's the biggest loser of all so far. And in this dragon, then he starts to show, this beast starts to show that everything was given him. The first thing he does is start to talk. He starts to talk and talk about God and blasphemous names. He's naming God for who he is. He's talking about God in ways that God's, he's not really God. Don't you know that? Eve, you surely shall not die if you eat of this apple. Really? 
You're not going to die. God's not going to kill you. He created you. The beast never wants God's creation to see the dragon for who he is. The beast of the sea becomes second in line to a group of three. Because I want to read the next part for you because then we're going to go back and look at the whole chapter at one. Let's look at verse 11 on. Okay? Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast, who was given it by the second, first dragon, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs and wonders, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. Wow, he's amazing. And by the sons that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. Now remember who those who dwell on the earth are, okay? Telling them to make the image for the beast Ooh. that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So now we're building idols. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Oh boy. Also, it causes all, both great and small, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast, the number of its name, that calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Here we go. For it is the number of a man. And the number is 666. Isn't it amazing that that number has become such a sign for evil, hasn't it? Anytime anybody wants to do something scary, what do they do? They put up a sign, six, six, six. Don't come in here, evil's here. And at some point in time, we're supposed to be scared of that number. Granted, before I became a Christian, there were guys in, I played in a rock band that was not Christian. And in that band, there were guys that had that number all over everything. I mean, they had it on their instrument cases, on their instruments themselves, and they had it everywhere, you know, and recognized, we have the power, we're the evil, we're dark. And these guys were scared of their own shadows. And I was amazed to see how that number, all of a sudden they could claim that number and gave them power. And yet... Where the number came from is right here, by the way. You know, if you want to know where the whole number came from, the whole idea of the number came from this book, in this place, at this time. And it says in that verse, it says, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. And its number is 666. That whole phrase there calls for wisdom and understanding and calculating. And what it's talking about is in the Greek numeral system, every number has, there are letters that have numbers assigned to them. And as you have the numbers assigned to each of the letters, it's the letters of the, la of the name of a person, the first name of a person. That's what he's talking about. And it is a man 
of a man and his number is 666. So it's talking about the name of a man whose number matches the Greek um, numerology in 666. And it's the amazing part of this is there's only one human being so far in all of history whose name matches that number. Isn't that astounding? And you all want to know who that is, don't you? We'll talk about it later. So when we get to the point of we, we get to the point of understanding that that it that that we'll get to that big big number because I know that that for this chapter that is the big question of everybody all about six 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 and we'll get to it at the end. It's not as scary as as big of a deal as it seems, folks. I got news for you. I hate to disappoint you, but it doesn't have the power that they claim that it does, unless you believe the second beast. Isn't that interesting? So let me make sure I got this right. I have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Right? Now all of a sudden I have the red dragon, beast of the sea, and beast of the earth. What we call the counterfeit trinity or the unholy trinity. Amazing how evil wants to present itself as if it was the same as God. Solomon tells us that the sin of idolatry is those who want to be the same as God is the same as witchcraft, which is obviously acquainted with that number in our centuries. He also says that for you to understand who God really is, it only becomes through wisdom of really under having wisdom and understanding through the Holy Spirit. So we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that helps us to see the truth and light and peace and love and grace. Everything that God gives us in Galatians 5. Then we have the unholy trinity that's telling us all of this is false and, and isn't real and isn't true. If we were to take and look at all of the divine powers of this so-called trinity, we would look at it's more about their marketing, their political power, and the way that they use the media to believe it. Because when you go back and you start looking at the history annals, and yes, I know, when I said I was a little anal about my studies, here's one of the things that I did during that. I went and looked at those studies, and I began to study um, context and, and, and groups of people and the history of the groups of people and the way that the groups of people acted and how they acted and how they reacted to a lot of the things that was put out by the Romans and the Greeks. See, the Greeks had their own gods, didn't they? Zeus and, and Aphrodite and all those Greek gods that you always read about. And then the Romans, they came along and said, you know what, we like all the Greek god pictures, but we don't like their names. So the Romans changed their names, but essentially they both had the same thing. Then the Egyptians came along and said, yeah, but we got one god that's powerful overall. His name is Ra, R-A, Ra, because they couldn't think of anything else. But he was supposed to be the God of the sun that had the most power of everything. And yet, his words, everything he did, everything was through propaganda, media, teaching, political power, the political powers of, of Cleopatra and everybody. I mean, when you go back and look at, you unfold the lapse of history and you look at them all. That's what you see. You see how the, the, the domination of evil gets to dominate 
because of the way it does two things. Markets itself, right? And continues to display itself. The bad part is that, well, it's not bad. Okay, I shouldn't say that. We're going to have to race that off the stream. But anyways, the bad part is, to me, is the fact that here we are, we're looking at how this works, and yet we have all of the evil stuff that looks so enticing to us. Men and women. And see, I tell this to men and women because I, I grew up with three sisters and three daughters. Trust me, women think a lot like men do, and they don't want to admit it, but that's okay. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that too, but that's all right. But here's the deal. When, when all of a sudden you're enticed by temptation, right? You see somebody good looking walking down the street. A guy with his shirt off or a woman that's scantily dressed. And all of a sudden you look and you go, oh, don't look at that. But what do you do? Here's my problem with that. Men and women. It's never the first look that gets you in trouble. It's the second one. It's when you relook, we reopen up, all that stuff. I look at my neighbor's car. He has a 1970 Dodge Challenger with a 426 Hemi and brand new mags and everything. But I'm okay, I'm all right with it. Just because that's been my favorite car since 1970. But that's okay. It's the second look that bothers me. Especially when he's out there wiping it down and cleaning it up and getting it ready to go to the show. Starts it up and it sounds really cool. Can you tell Charlie I'm talking way too much about this car? So my point exactly in the fact that sometimes the things of this world entice us to thoughts we should not be having. Can we recognize them for who they are and what they are? Not every time. Sometimes they appear to us to be as innocent as, well, that was just a dumb thing. I love the phrase, well, that was just a little white lie. Did I eat six cookies? No, of course not. And I didn't eat six. I might have ate a dozen, but she didn't ask me if I ate a dozen. <laughs> or how about when you're, you're supposed to be going home somewhere and all of a sudden you stop off for a drink someplace and do something like that. Oh, were you late at work? Yeah, I was late at work. It's just a little white lie, but I came home two hours later. My dear family, I love you all, and I'm trying to point out to you this. Evil comes in such a myriad of ways in, to us, towards us, at us. I call them the darts of the enemy. Sometimes they're little darts that make us do stupid little things, start a fight with our spouse or our family that we don't need to start, or engage in a fight with our family and spouse that we don't need to fight. Or sometimes the bigger darts come where that all of a sudden we, we hit some car in a parking lot but nobody has seen it so what do we do? We back out and we leave real quick without leaving a note. That's a little bit bigger dart. You know. How about when we do something so bad as to lead somebody astray from the church that they never ever want to speak to anybody in a church again. Their heart is broken because of what happened to them, because of church people. At no time should we ever be looking at church people, by the way. It's God who's in the church, not the people. People are fallible. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to mess up even pastors. So the size of the dart is what matters to me. But they're all still darts, aren't they? 
they all still have the same points. They all still have the same power. Darts can come in something as small as, or as great as, by the way, this disease that was man-made is going to shut down the whole world, and the only way you're going to get better is if you take the vaccine that me and my friends have created so that we can make millions of dollars. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that's one scenario I've heard. Or how about don't even think about going into public without wearing something to cover yourself up because you don't know that you're going to give somebody something that you don't even have. Or that you're going to get something from somebody else who doesn't have it. I'm not getting down on those who have fear right now. What I'm saying is that the fear that came from the enemy that's driving everybody into their homes to hide, the fear that came from those who truly believe that God is not strong enough to stop this, which he is, for those who believe that at no time can they trust anybody on the outside of their house, but yet they can trust everything that is said on the television. My family, there's, there is a common sense that God has given you to use in your mind. There's a Holy Spirit who is given as the comforter, who you can ask to before anything, to go before God and plead and find out from him what it is he wants you to know in any given situation. The only way that the dragon has the power to do anything he has to do is because God may be using that as a reminder to you, hey, who are you going to follow? It's all about worship. It's all about, wor when I say it's all about worship, please understand it's not all about everybody standing with guitars room or singing kumbaya. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about worship, I want to talk about the one who takes away your fear or one who creates your fear. Because obviously the God who loves you doesn't create the fear that, that's all around you. The God who loves you gives you a way to say, hey, you, I understand your fear and let me share it with you. Let me take it with you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus tells us very many times that when you feel estranged, when you feel like you're being strangled by the enemy, call upon the name of Jesus and that strangulation will stop. It has. There are stories upon stories of those who were part of the occultic church of Satan out of, from Anton LaVey out of the Northern California area who have come out of that cult and realized where the real power is. But they were deep into it and believed it truly to be the strongest. But as we see in this book of discipleship in the last book of the Bible, we're finding out real quick that enemy, the enemy and the power of the enemy, the evil enemy of God's heart does not have the power that he claims to have. That at no time can one power make a thought, make it so that you truly believe that God is, is dead, that God doesn't exist. There are so many books that talk about, is God real? God isn't real. Come on now, he's not, a, you know, surely he's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. They're not giving us a new message in any of those books. That message came from the creation of the world. And then the other side of the coin is then when Jesus says to you, rest, let my peace come into you. All you are weak and heavy laden and I will give you peace. That's the difference between this good and evil. 
So we have to look about an inductive study of what's really going on. What is the role of the beast from the earth and the one from the beast of the sea? What is it we look through them? The role of the second beast, remember, becomes to do whatever it takes, manipulate what it takes to manipulate people into trusting and following him and his whatever he's spewing out of his mouth. And the second beast makes an image of the first beast saying, hey, whatever else this beast is, this beast is very much into image marketing. He gives breath to the image in the first one. And then we look at it and realize the images cannot exist with power on their own, can they? They have to be given the power. They have to be given this. All of a sudden now you look at this and think, wait a minute. And I can't help but do this. But I look at it and I say, okay, this beast who is creating this image and saying everybody should do it, it is, cannot exist without give, giving power from the evil red dragon who then gave it to the beast of the sea, who then gave it to him, right? He can't do anything without that train of power. Folks, there are so many correlations about <laughs> the fear that is being thrown at us as human beings on this earth and has been since the first century has been ever since the romans started with it remember when rome took over the world how did they keep their their they they actually owned more of the world than anybody did at one point in time alexander the great was the the he was amazing the greeks just owned everything then the Romans came and they owned everything. And then they came to where the Assyrians owned everything. Then the Babylonians owned everything over there. And it was always by manipulation, the media, the way they could use it. In other words, by spreading rumors, gossip, and everything else, telling everybody, you should see the army of 500 Romans just killed a city of 15,000 people. So you better behave so they don't come in and raid our whole city and take us out. Those were in real notices from, from the Roman colonies. I'm not making this up. It's amazing how the circle of fear comes out of those who follow the beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, and the red dragon. The counterfeit trinity wants to make sure that he has more power than God does, which is what got him thrown at. Remember, I showed you back in, in Isaiah 12, when, he, when Lucifer got thrown out of heaven, that's what got thrown him out. I'm going to be like God. I'm taking over. God said, no, you're really not. They had the battle. He got thrown down. And I like the one, <laughs> the one, the one line in chapter 12 was very simple. Yeah, and they were defeated. It's not the battle was great, fierce, didn't describe a big, long battle. The battle of Michael's angels fought against the battle of Satan, and Satan's angels lost, and then they got thrown out of heaven. It was that simple. It wasn't even a long battle. If you think the 100-hour war was short, you ain't seen nothing yet. When God's decide this is over, it's finished, it's finished. When the Bible tells us in the blink of an eye, blink an eye and look and see how fast that is. You can close your eyes one minute, open it a second, and this could be done. All the false propagandists that's going on, even in the first century, is a picture of what is going on today the same way. I'm not going to name any names and do all that stuff because all my friends are saying, are you going to name names? No. 
because Randy would throw me out of here. Trust me, he would, I would get in big trouble with the bosses. But I'm not wrong in this instance because history shows it, backs it up. And if you look through history and you see all the, the leaders who followed it, I mean, everybody from Ferdinand and Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines all the way through the Chinese. And the, I mean, you can look at all of this stuff. And then we get to the last verse. And I'm going to spend this last 20 minutes on this. Verse 18. This calls for wisdom. That's the first thing. You got to pray that you have wisdom when you start looking at this. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. In other words, his name. And his number, and his number is 666. So, we have lots of ways that we can look at this. There are three basic options we can take when we look at this. The first one is John is working with what is called gematria. Gematria, using numbers to spell words, usually spells the letters of alphabet were used as numerals. If English had been the alphabet, it would have been 1A, 2B, 3C, and all, so on. Okay? And we could then represent our names using the numbers, you know, different things like that. And I did bill once, and I can't remember what the number was because it was really hard to figure out. So, and it was like something like 1,200. It didn't make any sense. So it wasn't me. I was glad to see that, by the way. We know the practice of gematria in the widespread of the first century. For example, archaeologists found a wall in the cave of Pompeii. Pompeii, Pompeii. I was watching a, a movie where the guy called it Pompeii, sorry. The sentence, I love her whose number is 545. That's what it said on the, on the inside this cave. And it was that they were putting the Greek gematria, the numeral, numeral system that they had there, that way, where they matched it to numbers and letters, they were using that to say, I love her name. And her name came out to like Alyssa or something like that. I can't remember that either. But, then, through the centuries, we start looking at the description of the beast. It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand, right? All by the signs it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast. It deceives those who dwell in, telling them to make image. And anybody who does not believe in the beast is killed by the sword. So let's think about in history all the men and some women, Cleopatra, who made sure that if you didn't believe what they believed, guess what? You died. 1928 to 1933. We know that one very well, don't we? We know who that is. But there was a few others before that. You had Domitian who was the guy that would bury Christians down up, up to their head and then guys would practice coming by and chopping off their heads. Muhammad, in 600 B.C., he wiped out whole countries. Frederick III, we had various popes who were very uh, evil. Napoleon, the Kaiser Wilhelm, Stalin, who killed all the people right there in the sword. You had Hitler, you had with then some named Roosevelt and Henry Kissinger have been suggested as some of these people who were evil. 
I love the one that said it was Ronald Reagan. His number came up to like 1,528 or something. It wasn't even close. I just started laughing. I thought, you're an idiot. But there is one name throughout history that was one of the most evil leaders of all time. Let's see if I can give you a couple of hints. 70 AD, he burns down the city of Jerusalem and brings it on the Christians. Shout it out if you know who it is. Say it again. Nero. Guess whose name matches 666? Nero. To the point. And it's very interesting that if you take his Latin name of Nero, it is, comes out to be 616. But if you look on many Bibles at the very bottom of the phrase, it'll say, you know, some manuscripts, some of the ancient manuscripts have the number as 616. And you may look at the bottom of your page if you have a study Bible, you may have a little tiny note that says some manuscripts say 616, which is Nero's name in Latin, by the way. If you take his Latin name, he comes out to 616. If you come and take his Greek name, it's, it's 666. Is 666 referring to Nero? Everybody thinks it is. Too much playing around with the facts. It, 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 it takes John's first readers to be able to go from Latin to Greek to Hebrew to fudge some letters and to make things go. It doesn't work. If the proper name, try Hebrew or even Latin. Thirdly, do not be too particular about the spelling. He then says we cannot infer from a fact the key that fits the lock. It is the lock in which almost any key can fit. If gematria is the way to understand it, then what about all the triangular numbers? There's a lot of different approaches, so you're going to hear a lot of different things. So do we know who 666 is today? Interesting question. If you go on to Google or any of the others, you can find out all the Greek numerology of the gematria that matches all of the letters. You can. You can go find all of that out. Because there is a, a way to find out all those numbers. And I have had people who do it. Some husbands have done it for wives and vice versa. Trying to prove that this one's the evil one. I'm just telling you. No, ladies and gentlemen, that doesn't work either. And I can say to all of you that are in this room, none of your names fit, so you're all safe. In John Revelation, in 17... I'm going to bring this up right now because I know that we're going to break for a little while. Here is wisdom. Here is the mind which has wisdom. God, John goes to speak on the seven heads, which are seven mountains and seven kings. And John says, five have fallen. One is the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth. And it is one of the seven. Now, all of that sounds very confusing, doesn't it? And guess what? When we get to chapter 17, I'll, I'll break all that down for you. But then there's another approach. Treat the 666 as a symbol, not a code to be broken. Because when it says, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number that of a man. Number of a man. 
John does not use the article a. He does not say the number of a specific man. It just says it is the number of man. And it's very upsetting when I look into the lot of your English Bibles. Would you look at chapter at verse 13 and tell me how many of you have for it is the number of a man. Raise your hands, please, if you see that in your Bible. Okay. In the original text, that A is not there. Just so you know. It is not ref referred to as a singular person. It's just man, anthropos, human. There's not a number of a specific human being, all but a human number, an analogy. It is if John were saying, the beast is superhuman force, but I can't give it a number I can give it a human number of 666. Six is one of the less than seven. The seven is the number of complete. The six is one short of being complete. We can go through this all night long. We can break it down. My biz biggest task for this evening is this. Because I knew that once I got to that verse, everybody wants to know everything about that number. The main thing I want you to know about that number, it is not as scary as it looks and has been mediaized to be is that word i don't even know. i might have just made up my own word that's good thank you but when we look at it it creates an image in our mind and if nothing else what we want to do is pray for whoever displayed the symbol don't we because think about it they're being governed, ruled, overlorded by one force and one force only. And that is the force of evil. The demonic forces are so afraid of God taking over when this is over. And, the, and you saw in the middle of verse 12, it says, Satan knows that his time is short and therefore he's going to create as much havoc and evil as he can. He's going to do that. All of that part is true. That's absolutely true. And we see it every day. Sometimes we have friends and neighbors who call us up yelling at us, getting mad at us, and screaming and stuff. We don't even know what they're upset about. And it's not them that's doing this. Have any of you seen the movie called The War Room? If you have, then you know that Miss Clara, as I just would love to meet a Miss Clara. She's the amazing woman that just says, she tells her friend who's struggling in their marriage, who's blaming her husband for being, says, no, 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 don't blame your husband. Learn who the real enemy is. Figure out the real enemy. If you're going to go after somebody, go after the real enemy. And if you want to know how to do that, if you want to flip back real quick to um, chapter 12. Okay, I'll just read it to you. In verse 11 in chapter 12 is the greatest testimony of how you can defeat and conquer it. Because this is how he was defeated and conquered when the enemy was at his strongest. And it says in verse 11, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You want to know how to defeat the enemy, folks? Start giving your testimonies. I got one this week that made me cry. From somebody in this audience and she knows who she is so I can't I won't say her name on the stream but it was beautiful it was an amazing testimony and testimonies and somebody asked me last week by the way your testimonies 
If it's a current testimony, it can be a testimony of an event happening right now. It can be a testimony of when you first came to the Lord. It can be a testimony of how God is working in your life. It can be a testimony of how you see God doing amazing things, even when you didn't see it at first, but now that you're through that trouble, you see the amazing things God did. We, we cannot win by any force that we have. The ten horns, the way these beasts are described with the ten horns, the ten died. This is a very strong enemy that cannot be beaten by the sword. He cannot be defeated by the sword. He, one of the beasts had a sword wound that got healed. That's not the answer. The answer is, and they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the power of their testimony. Your words about who Jesus is and what he did for you are so strong that the enemy shivers at the thought of it. So the first thing he's going to do is to tell you, don't be a part of a church. Don't go to a church where they're preaching God's word. Oh, and don't, no, you don't want to go hang around those Christian people. You know, they're kind of weird. Them Christian people, they get a little weird and they all start talking about how they're, they have grace and they're forgiven and, and Jesus loves them and Jesus loves me. I don't want to hear all that. I want to talk about the fight. It's amazing when you're on the freeway and there's a giant wreck. Everybody slows down to stop, right? There's a wreck on the other side of the freeway. My side of the freeway, and by the way, it's the driving thing again, sorry. I'm, I'm admitting my sin there's a, the, the, the wreck is on the other side of the road. For two miles on my side, there, where there's no wreck at all and nothing to stop me, the traffic is going four miles an hour. It's very frustrating, just so you know, for some of us. I'm being transparent here. The some of us is me. So let me ask you this. When they're stopping to slow down, what are they stopping to slow down to see? Yeah. Gore. Is there a body hanging out a window? You know, is somebody run over on the ground? Is there, you know, oh, and somebody said, my sweet. <laughs> my grandmother told me, no, I slow down to pray for all the people. I said, Grandma, no, you don't. You want to see what you want to see. Every one of us do that. And the sad part is that when we, when we get to see that gore and stuff, what do we do? We turn our head, oh, Lord, I didn't want to see that. And we drive, and then we start to speed up. And I'm thinking, well, then why did you slow down in the first place? Keep going, people. And for heaven's sake, learn to use a turn signal. Anyway, I'm over it. One of the things that we realize that is causing a whole lot of stress on us is it is hard sometimes to follow Jesus I have to, I will admit that there are times it is hard to call upon his names the enemy has made it very difficult for us to become and stay saints of the living God as he calls us I used to be embarrassed to say that we are called as saints I am no saint I got lots of witnesses to tell you about that and yet when God looks at me through the blood of the lamb and by the word of my testimony, he sees a saint. When he looks at you, no matter who you see in the mirror at night, no matter who you see staring at you in the face and when all the lights are off and you're the only one lying in bed and all the stuff of the day is going through your brain of the things you did today, 
That's not the Lord reminding you of all the bad stuff. That's the enemy who does not want you to think about how God got you through another day. The fact that you got up and were breathing. The world is still here. I still have a job. I still don't have a job. I, I, don't have, I have all these bad things happening to me, but I am still alive. Does God have to do things at certain points in times to get our attention? Absolutely. I envy my friends who from the time they were born raised in a Christian home and they stayed Christians and they're very devout and they love Christians. I, I, they love Jesus. That is amazing to me. I wish I would have had the strength to do that when I was growing up. Now, I didn't have Christian parents growing up or anything like that, but to, it is harder for those who know the Lord at a very young age and to stay strong through their, you know why? Because they already know what they did. They, they don't know what it's like. Me, up until 16 years old, I was not a nice person. I was more evil than I even like to talk about sometimes. And yeah, my testimony is strong because of what God did for me one time in the mountains at Angeles Christ Christian Camp. And how amazing that was to feel that burden of, of, and I had to come back down the mountain and get off drugs and do a lot of stuff because I had to pay for what I did to my body. But God still did it. And he let me live to today to sit up here and look at this book and know that this is not just a book of, of a crystal ball. This is a book of discipleship. Who are you going to worship? This is a book that calls us into such, such strong discipleship that we have no fear of an enemy that we cannot see. We don't have to fear something that everybody in the world claims is the strongest there is. Who is like the beast? I love that phrase. No one can stand against the beast. No. The beast got thrown out of And it wasn't even him. It was two beasts above him got thrown out of heaven. This guy's going to get squashed. And, and you look at that and you go, okay, so if I don't have to worry about the power of God in my life and the word of my testimony being the strongest weapon there is in God's kingdom, why do I fear? Why do I cry? Why do I, why do I, and, and, and I'm not saying that we should never cry or fear or anything else because what's natural is what's natural. And please remember, it's not what you're going through at the moment that concerns God. I mean, he loves you and he doesn't want you to go anything bad. That's not what I'm saying. But that's not the important part. The important part is when you fall down, that you get back up. See, the important part is when life takes you to a point where your depression, your anxiety, the stuff that you're going through is so heavy that you begin to waver in your faith. God, are you really there? God, is this really true? God, why are you doing this to me? And I think it was in the first or second week, I said, you know, we should never ask why, but we should ask what? What are you trying to teach me, Lord? What is it that I need to learn? What is it? Tell me what it is, and, 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 and I want to know, I want to know, God, not only who you are, but what it is that you want me to do at this point. We look at chapter 13 and we see these great beasts with all this power come back. But then we go back to chapter 12 and read verse 11. Those beasts have no power over those who wear the seal from the inside of their hearts of Jesus. 
Somebody said to me, am I going to see a seal on here because I've, I've come to Jesus and do I have this seal on my head? Do you and he put his head out. Now he's bald. So I said, it's not even on the top or the back of your head, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, but I don't understand. You say there's a seal that we all have on our forehead. And I said, no, it's a, <laughs> it's a symbol of something. What? The life of Christ that's inside you is so strong that it emanates from you and everybody else can see it lighting out from you. That's the seal that, that God is talking about when he says, those who have the seal of God on their foreheads. In other words, it's not something that I can see when I have it, but all of you could see when I have it. That's how it works. And that's the symbol he's trying to give us. So tonight, as we finish with chapter 13, next week I'm basically going to finish with the 144,000, another mad big number that everybody wants to know about. But then we're going to go on to taking a break. And we're going to get to see. You can go back through your old notes. I will still be working in the office during the summer. If there's, there's questions that come up in time and you want to talk about the past stuff coming up, don't ask me about anything past where we stop. I'm not going to cheat, Charlie, and give you insights. Don't even think about it. Sorry, I kind of knew he was looking at me like, ooh, we could find... No, we can't, Charlie. Sorry, that's not going to work. But what we are going to do is we can look back now and realize all the amazing things that we learned about who God really is, who has the power. And it is simply by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Your words are more powerful than you even know. If you want to know how to defeat the enemy in the dark when you're in your own room, and I've taught this to my children and my grandchildren, today I call upon the name of Jesus. He lives in my heart and greater is he that lives in me, that lives in the world. So whatever is scaring me, you just go away. And it's the cutest thing when you hear an eight-year-old pray that. Grandpa, what? Come here. I have the heart of Jesus living. <laughs> Warms my heart. She looks at me and says, Grandpa, why are you crying? Oh, I'm just agreeing with you, baby girl. It's okay. We cannot let anything in what we watch, what we hear, what we see, what we read that's going to be contrary to the grace and the loving spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Anything that is contrary to what is in this book, anything that tries to tell you that evil is so strong that you have no power against it. I'm sorry that is not true. You do have power against it, but not because of you. Amen? You have power against it because of who you are, whose you are. I don't have power because of who I am, but I do have power because of whose I am. And that's what matters. So I just hope that this is, and by the way, this is our 20th week, folks, in case you're wondering how many weeks you've been doing this together. I didn't realize that until I counted them today. So we're going to stop next week. We're going we're gonna to meet together next week. We're going to do a couple of different things. We'll do get through chapter 14, but we're also going to do a little recap. If you have any questions up to this point, you can ask them. You can't ask anything after chapter 14, sorry. Well, you could ask it, but I won't answer it until the day comes. Sorry. Yeah, let me get specific. You can ask any question you'd like. Pastor at lighthousecommunity.com. And I will be glad to answer those questions.
And if it's a question about the future stuff, then in when the future stuff comes, I will answer the question. Don't try to cheat. But I love you all for hanging out with me and doing this. I love talking about this book most more than anything else I do. Let's pray together. Father God, we just, we give you glory and honor and all power. Lord, we lift up your name in, in, in the heavens. We, we raise glory. We give glory and honor to the God of heaven. We are amazed that even though this evil that tries to come at us from all kinds of diff different directions cannot overcome us because of whose we are. So, Lord, I pray for everybody that's in this room. If there are fears, if there are anxieties, if there are things holding them back from just claiming you, Father, even if it is in their homes and for those that are, that are at home and, and, and if they still have that fear even at home, I understand it and it's okay. Let them learn to rely on you and hold on to you and Father, let them take the baby steps they can to get out of that. We may not be able to shed those evil things all at once, but Father, if we can just take a step today better than yesterday, then we're there. I ask that you be with all those who have that fear in their hearts because I know how it is to hold on to that and it's hard to let go. So I pray for strength. I pray for courage. I pray for an unending just stick-to-itiveness that helps them to keep marching towards you and towards the light of the Holy Spirit. May you be with each one who's here, each one's at home, and for all of our friends and families, we, we ask for your protection from the evil darts of the enemy. We ask, oh God, for the homes that need the touch of the great physician, that you would reach into those homes and that you would grant healing power to those who need it. And for all those in the darkness of anxiety and depression and all those mental images that are holding us back, may you, the light of Jesus, just step into that and push it all away. And until we're together again, oh God, next week, we just ask for your blessings and your traveling mercies. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.